Last week we began uh, a series on aging and uh, the elderly parent, and uh, we discussed uh, last week, I guess you could say more philosophical, more hashkafic uh, perspective on aging, the challenges obviously, um, but also the brachos and uh, the need for the person, him or herself, who's going through the aging process to hopefully... In addition, of course, to being blessed, uh, we all need compassion from Hashem. Some people have bigger challenges than others as they go through this process. Uh, but whatever the physical condition is, obviously we were speaking about, and I, I, you know, I think it's obviously important, Lahavdil, uh, if you weren't religious, having the right attitude also would help. But certainly from a religious perspective, uh, having the right perspective on both the challenges and the opportunities, the brachos, of uh, of old age certainly I think is not only appropriate but also can be incredibly helpful uh, to navigating those challenges and of course the proper perspective of the family the children the grandchildren um, where sometimes as we'll discuss today in a halakhic level sometimes it can be very challenging not only it's painful to see the loved one infirm and sick but there can just be issues uh, that are just difficult the personality issues um, just you know too much family time sometimes can be a challenge when you're, you know, totally taking care of a parent or a grandparent, etc., etc. These things are somewhat obvious, and um, on the one hand, they really are challenges. We should be honest about that. On the other hand, uh, it's a great bracha for children and grandchildren to be able to play play that role. So that was yet last week's year. Uh, what I originally thought of might be a two-part series. I think now we're going to make a three-part series because the halachic issues really are are many and complex, and I wanted to. Uh, give justice to all of them. So we'll get through, I hope, uh, half of what I had planned on speaking about today. That's the full source sheet you have in front of you. And then, please God, next week we'll do a third and final part uh, on the series. What I'd like to discuss today, um, with a little bit of a hashkafic background, but basically I want to discuss a lot of the halachos that come up uh, when you have either an in, in, in aging parent, or it could be, sometimes people get sick even when they're young, but taking care of a parent what the halachos uh, of that are. Obviously, you know, we spoke last week again about just from a psychological perspective. It's a total role reversal. Right? Parents are supposed to take care of children. And then, if you're lucky, it's many decades later, and sometimes you're not so lucky because sometimes parents who are young get sick. But when you have that role reversal, so not only is there an emotional challenge, but the whole halacha gets turned upside down. So what are the halachos? How do you respect your parent when you are the caregiver? What are the requirements? What are the limitations? Um, so I want to discuss a lot of that um, today, uh, including had it on an attitudinal level, what if parents are verbally abusive, which often can happen with certain sicknesses where the personality changes. I saw that uh, with at least one of my grandparents. Um, and there could be a lot of different, or just dealing with the stress. Sometimes there could be you know, quick tempers. So how to do, deal with the emotional issues and talk appropriately and relate appropriately. Um, and then the big issue I want to discuss today is to what extent are we allowed to farm out the responsibilities? Whether I don't want to or I can't take care of my parent or grandparent. So am I allowed to hire an aide? What about putting a parent in a nursing home? If the parent doesn't want... So that's going to be today's topic, and I can see already by the look on your eyes, this is already heavy. <laughs> this is not a joking topic. Um, next week, please God, uh, we'll, we'll discuss uh, issues of uh, the finances of it, who's responsible to pay, 
uh, for even if, even if you assume the child is responsible to take care of his or her parent. Is that also a financial responsibility? What are the, what are the limits of that? Um, and also, in terms of actual physical taking care of, whether the parent is still living on their own, but need your help living with you, or it could be, let's say they are living in an old age home, but you go and visit, so can you bathe the parent? Can you help them? What are, the, are you allowed? Must you help them to the bathroom, bathing, giving them medicine, their shots, uh, things like that, which involve all sorts of other halachos. So that'll be, please God, uh, next week's uh, topic. So if you take a look at the source sheet, for those who have, um, we've given, if I'm not mistaken, either last year or the year before, I think we gave also a whole series just in general on Kibbut Aim. So I don't want to repeat that. But if, something that I don't remember if we focused on then, and certainly just a good introduction to today's topic, is the first two sources on your page. And that is where the Gemara, the, excuse me, the Chumash tells us in the Aser Sadibros, right, the fifth commandment, Kabeide Savicha Vesimecha, Okay, honor your parents. That's, of course, the whole subtext of our shir. But then the Torah adds something which is very rare and very striking. Hashem promises, the Torah promises, long life. If you fill the mitzvah of kibud av va'im. So, first of all, this is you know, very important. Everyone's looking for skulas. So, we've discussed in the past that most of the skulas are made up. Uh, and don't even appear in the Gemara or anywhere really authentic. But you know what's better? If I always advocate, when people ask me, if it's in, if it's in Chazal, if it's in a Gemara, and you are into it, Lama Lo. But you know what's even better than a school in the Gemara? A school in the Chumash. This is better than a Red Bendel. It's better than a Fashas Chala. I don't know what the source for that being a school is. I'm not against Havashas Chala. It's a mitzvah. I'm not sure when it became a schoola, a main 40 times, all sorts of other things. They can't hurt, but I think in general we invest way too much importance uh, in those things. But you have a much better skula. The Torah itself says the best skula is to honor your parents. Is the best skula around. So, we don't always see that. Does it mean in this world or the next world? Whatever it means. But it's a promise from the Torah and it's very, very rare. Very, very rare for the Torah itself to promise reward like that. So if you take a look at source number two, Rabbeinu Bachaye who was a student of the Ramban, but he quotes an even earlier source, Rabbi Tzadjah Gaon, who is often referred to as the first a great Jewish philosopher, even before the Ramban. But in his, he has a comment, which is fascinating, which Rabbi Bachai quotes here in source number two. It says, and it's very prosaic, and he was this great philosopher, lived a thousand plus years ago, but this is very down to earth, very, very prosaic, very emotionally uh, intelligent, so to speak, and sensitive answer. Says Rabbeinu Bechayi, in the name of Rabbeinu Masajigon, why is it that the Torah itself promises this great reward if you take care of your parents, you'll get long life? Because sometimes parents get old. Sometimes parents live a long life. And sometimes it's hard. As parents age, it can be a real burden. It can be really, really difficult on the child. We mentioned last week, even from an emotional perspective, how, again, there's this three parts to the relationship. Again, it's not... I think it's a profound insight, even though once you hear it, it becomes almost obvious. But I heard this many years ago in a different context from Rav Soloveitchik. There's three stages to the parent-child relationship. There's the first stage where the parent takes care of the child. There's that middle stage, which we all hope lasts for many, many decades, where the parent and the child are parallel adults, can have that kind of independent, beautiful relationship. And then, often there's that third stage where the roles are reversed, and the child takes care of the parent. 
So whether it's at, at, at the end of a long life, or unfortunately someone gets sick at a younger age, but the fact is, sometimes kibbutz aim could be hard. Stereotypically, you could say when the parents get old, but it's not limited to old as much as it is just when they get weaker, when they get sick, when they need to be taken care of. And that can be really difficult. Why do we have to pretend that it's not? It is an honor, it is a schus, but it also can be hard physically, emotionally, Taxing, and never says Rabsajigon, the chain kava aleim schar mitzvahzos, and that's why the Torah gave the reward. That you should know this. Yes, it will be hard, but there's a great reward for doing it. Klomar alecha lechabdem v'tichia imahem v'mulai titzter achayem dash achayecha tamister. And basically, in the source, it's giving you you could say positive encouragement or almost a, a strong warning. And if you start getting resentful or you're uh, it's nebuch, you know, to take it in the most extreme crass way, you know. Won't she die already, so to speak, in that frustration? So it says, you have to realize, if you have any kind of thoughts like that, you're basically regretting your own life. Because the longer they live, the more kibbutz you can do, the more reward of a long life you'll get. And the shorter they live, it means it's less opportunity for you. You're actually hurting yourself with those kind of dark thoughts. So again, I think it's powerful that he even acknowledges that people can have those dark thoughts. It's real, it's human, it's honest. But the Torah itself, says Rav Sajigon, is aware of that and therefore encourages you, despite how, yes, it can be difficult, realize because it's so difficult, there is a commensurate promise of reward. Um, last but not least, as a kind of introductory point before we get to the real you know, nitty-gritty of the halacha, is source number three. And this is a source that we've mentioned in the past, but I just feel like dafka with this, in this context, it's important to reiterate it. Um, and that is source number three, where the Gemara tells us that there is an interconnection between the way we relate to our parents and our relationship with Hashem. And this is because in a number of places, the Torah, or in some cases the Tanakh, like in Sefer Mishlei, uses parallel language to describe the way we honor or respect our, or, or even fear our parent, and the way we're supposed to honor and fear Hashem. So for example, the Torah, he quotes from the Mishlei, on the one hand, we know in, obviously in the Sarasat Dibros, in the Ten Commandments, we just read, but the Gemara points out in Sefer Mishlei, in Proverbs, Shlomo HaMelech writes, Kabed es Hashem mehoncha. Uses a similar verb to say, honor Hashem. What do we see from this, says the Gemara? There's a parallelism, there's a connection, a tight connection between honoring your parents and honoring Hashem. And the Gemara goes on to say this about other dimensions, which I left out. But the upshot of the Gemara, the conclusion of the Gemara is... This makes sense. After all, there are three partners in every human being. God, the father, and the mother. Right? Obviously, there's a physical and biological reality and situation and an act which creates a conception and eventually leads to a baby being born. But says the Gemara, and we don't have to take this on faith, just ask any fertility doctor or Nebuch, a couple going through fertility issues, that it's not enough just to try. We need the brach of Hashem, and sometimes even doctors don't understand why a certain couple may not be able to conceive. Anytime a baby is born, it's not just the product of a physical act or a biological reality. It's because Hashem was there, and Hashem blessed uh, that act that it should produce a child. And as a result of this, says the Gemara, something powerful, which is that every time you honor your parent, says the Gemara, third line, it's as if God says, Ma'le'ani alehem ki'ilu darti b'nehem v'kibduni. When you honor your parents as Hashem, I feel like you're honoring me. And, conversely, unfortunately, if a person is disrespectful to a parent, it's as if God says, I don't want anything to do with that family and that house, because if I would be, they'd be disrespecting me. 
So I think this Gemara should be understood on a number of levels. First of all, again, it just reminds us how important Kibbut Aim is. And we understand why there is so much reward promised for it. Because you're not only honoring your parent, you're also honoring Hashem. But I think it also connects to something we spoke about a little bit last week. Which is that we have to remember, and this is something that is so powerful to us, that our parents are our first and primary link to the Masorah. Right? You can't completely separate your relationship with your parents from your relationship to Judaism, from your relationship to your past, to your history. Yes, it's true, and it's remarkable that there can be converts who, so to speak, do it on their own. And in some extreme cases, you could have someone who's a Baal Tshuva from a completely assimilated home, maybe got no Yiddishkeit, never can't tie anything back other than biology to his or her parents. But those are rare. Even most Bali Tshuva who are incredible and heroic and admirable. But most of the time, they grew up with some kind of Yiddishkeit, maybe not orthodoxy, but something can't know, even someone who's more religious than their parents can still see the continuity. And obviously those of us who are blessed have been brought up in a religious home. So, so much of what we have, so much of our identity comes from our parents, from our grandparents, and that is really something that gives tremendous, um, I think, context and beautiful depth, uh, aside from the human emotional, which is powerful enough, but there's a whole other dimension to our relationship with our parents when we appreciate and remind ourselves that this is our link in the chain, and this is part of the Masorah, and this really is a defining element, even of our relationship with everything that's important to us, including Hashem Himself. Certainly, again, it's, it's, it, that's a heavy thing to carry with you every minute, but to the extent that we have that, so to speak, in the back of our mind, that is certainly something that can help give added meaning to keep it up aim, even when it's easy, let alone as a parent gets infirm or older, and it can become more difficult. Okay, now, with all that as a background, let's dive into some of the actual halachos that we want to discuss uh, today. So, it all starts with source number four. What is Kibar We can talk about it in abstract, but what do we actually have to do for Kibar And very much to the point of today's year, the Gemara gives a somewhat interesting, albeit partial answer, but the primary answer, it says the Gemara, source number four, you know what Kibar Ava'im is? Where it's underlined? You feed your parents, you help them drink, you clothe them, you protect them in other ways, you give them home and shelter, you help them travel when they, don't, when they need help traveling. That's the whole list, five things. In that series we gave, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, so we mentioned that there are all sorts of other things that are included, and we even discussed is that thing called giving nachas to your parents. Is that part of the mitzvah, or that's just something else that's nice? We discussed that. We discussed the shuvah. You have to love your parents. Is that obligatory or not? I'm not going to review all that now, but there's a lot of stuff here. But for our purposes, at minimum, at minimum, what you see from this Gemara, which you might not have thought of on your own, is that the Gemara basically is defining kibrav aim, at least in a technical halachic way, primarily in what sense? What's it? Exactly. Physical service to you. Servicing your parents' physical needs. Now, what is, of course, so relevant, well, before I uh, elaborate, source number five is the Rambam, and there's others who said this, but I just gave you the Rambam as one example. Source number five, <clears throat> he points out that even though there are six things mentioned in that list in the Gemara, it was never intended to be an exhaustive list. Those are just examples. Says the Rambam in source number five, the actual you know, examples and permutations of Kibar Aim, Rabim Milispor. There's too many to list. But anyone who wanted to discuss them and wanted to start getting into the nitty-gritties, 
Yarochmo, Yarochmo. You'd have to go, it's a long, long book you'd have to write to really do everything we care about aim. And the Gemishnah here, was, the Gemara here, excuse me, he's Kiru Mehem These are just examples. But the broader point, which was to distill, is that a parent, excuse me, a child is responsible when necessary and when possible to provide for their parents' uh, physical needs. Now, this is important <clears throat> to know when you are 20 years old and your parent is 45 and in good health. But it's all the more so <clears throat> important to remind us, uh, to remember, I should say, and why it's so particularly relevant for today's year, because as I have pointed out in the past, and people uh, have pointed out long before me, what emerges from this Gemara, not again, I don't want to repeat what we discussed a year or two ago, there are other dimensions of Kippur aim, which one must and can do in full force, even at a young age. But the basic mitzvah, in its core, that's brought down in the Gemara and the Shulchan Aruch, Interestingly enough, at what point does a person even have the opportunity, really, to fulfill this mitzvah? Almost entirely when? When the parent gets older. And if I would, you know, 18, and uh, when I was 18, so my father was 42. If I would have said to him, Abba, can I help you get dressed? He would have looked at me, Dubis Meshuga? <laughs> you don't think I Again, if I said to him, can I get you a drink of water? I think he'd appreciate that or something like that. In other words, it's fascinating, right? Again, every now and then there are ways to provide your parents physical needs when they're young and healthy. But the truth of the matter is, the greatest opportunity exponentially to fulfill the most basic obligations of keeping up aim, Dafka waits until your parents are at the advanced age or if they're sick at a younger age. But the point is, only when they can't do it to themselves. Because obviously, when the Gemara describes, you'll help them put their shoes on, you'll help them get dressed. In a normal situation, you know, no parent wants their child to do that if they can do it themselves. It's not just that you don't have to, it's almost disrespectful. So what the Gemara, in essence, is really describing is that most of the mitzvah, or at least the primary level of the mitzvah, actually, you're kind of living your whole life to prepare to be able to rise to the challenge as your parents get older, as your grandparents uh, get older. That's point number one. Point number two, and again, this I think in more depth we discussed in that previous year, but in our context we must repeat it, is that the Shulchan Aruch, Paskins, the source number six, uh, based on a number of Gemaras, which I'll tell you in a moment, that it's not only what you do for your parent, these taking care of them physically, and again, I don't have to give you examples, because anything... That's what the Rambam and Shulchan Aruch tell us. Anything that is a physical need of your parent, if they need your help, then you're obligated to help them. That's just the bottom line. But it's not only what you do for your parent, it's also how you do it. The Gemara gives two opposite examples which seem to have surprising rulings. On the one hand, says the Gemara, there could be a situation in which you not only feed your parent, but you give them filet mignon caviar, the most expensive, lavish foods, and you are disrespecting them and you are going to be severely punished for doing it. And on the other extreme, the Gemara says, there could be a scenario in which you force your parent to do something degrading or backbreaking labor for you, and it's actually the greatest fulfillment of Kibravein. Neither of those things make any sense. So the Rishonim explain what the Gemara is clearly getting at, and this is how the Shulchan Aruch brings it down in source number six, is it's really two extreme ways of illustrating that context and attitude may not mean all the, diff- 
make all the difference. Yes, maybe you're very wealthy. Maybe you can afford to give your parents the fanciest foods and the fanciest meats and whatever. But if you do it with a bad attitude, if you do it resentfully, if they feel like, you know, here, fine, take the steak. It's not about the food. Right? You've ruined everything with the bad attitude. Take a look at the Shulchan Aruch number six. The Nenu, low. Yes, you have to feed your parents if they need help. But you have to do it with savor upon yafos, with a good attitude. Not resentfully, with a smile. And therefore the Shulchan Aruch continues. Even if you feed them some fancy bird, some delicious duck or filet mignon every day, but you did it with ponim zuafos, you did it with a bad attitude, your parent can tell that you're resentful that you have to do it. Not only is it not a mitzvah, nena shalav, you're punished for it. And then the Ramah adds, the opposite. And this is the case I was alluding to before, where the Gemara describes a case where a person goes to his father, here you have to carry this huge boulder and schlep it who knows where. And that's a great reward. So the Meshachar brings down, that the Mepharshim explained, the context of that extreme example, which is a hypothetical to illustrate the point, was you, the parent, it was a situation where the child heard that the tax authorities or you know, the, the Cossacks or whoever, they were coming after the father. So you decide, I'll go down to the police officer, I'll, I'll deal with whatever. You keep busy, you do this. To t- and it wasn't you were trying to burden your parent. It was an extreme example where you were actually displaying great loyalty and love for them. But in order to help them, they needed to do this. So that's just an extreme example. But the extreme example illustrates the point, says the Ramah, second line of source number six. Even if you had them do something which seems to be on its face not respectful, but if, if, kavanoso litova, but in the context you actually were doing something for their best interest in heart. Again, in some scenario where whatever you gave them to do was actually a way of helping and saving them from a worse reality. In such a case, again, you should do your best to make sure your parent understands why you're doing it. But the bottom line is, if that really was your, your, your motivation, no olam haba, you're going to get rewarded for it. So we're going to discuss that a little bit this week and definitely more even next week. That's I mentioned uh, at the start. We're going to discuss the question was: Would an example of this be dragging your parents to the doctor or to chemo if they don't want it, but you're doing it for their best interest? And the answer is yes. But we will discuss that maybe a little this week and maybe even more next week uh, when we have our third part uh, of the series. So again, it's not only what you do, uh, but how you do it. And again, I don't need to tell you. Even when children are young, uh, it certainly seems like you know a lot of tri- a lot of children have problems with keeping up aim. And even when they're listening, they're often resentful and have bad attitudes. So this is something that we have to try to inculcate in our children, even when they're young, and even when we're young. But I think it's obvious that this is the kind of thing that can become challenging as the parents get older and more infirm and just simply need more from us. And as I say, especially since sometimes, sometimes it can be very difficult. Right? First of all, because some people were difficult even when they were younger. There are difficult people in the world. And sometimes they happen to be our parent. But even if they were the nicest, most edel-madel people when they were younger, as people get older, as they get sick, either it could be because of the pain, or changes in personality, which sometimes happen, it can be difficult. It can definitely be difficult. Uh, many, many people in this room may have experienced it, and I've certainly seen it secondhand uh, when I was younger. So, it's a, I'm not saying any of this is easy, but we have to know what's expected of us. And what's expected of us is not only to do, but also to as best as we can do with the right attitude. And this brings us to kind of part two of today's year, uh, which is the broader question of if and when is it ever permitted or maybe even advantageous 
to pawn off Kibarava aim on others. Now that we've seen how important this mitzvah is, it's the greatest skula, it's in the Ten Commandments, it's as if we're honoring Hashem, if we disrespect our parent, it's as if we're disrespecting Hashem, it's all about our attitude, etc. When and if is it possible to say, I don't want to or I can't, it's too much for me, therefore, let's get an aid. Therefore, let's move you into the nursing home. Okay, now, obviously, um, which we will mention, I'm sure, more than once as we go on, obviously these cases are incredibly complex, and really nothing I can say will answer every situation. These are obviously have to be on case-by-case basis. But in addition to the human and the subjective and the emotional dimensions of this, obviously, unquestionably, we also have to uh, know what halachos there are, at least as guidelines and uh, guardrails for kind of understanding the context. And at minimum, I will start off by saying, <clears throat> even in a simple situation, let's just say, for example, um, everyone's healthy, and uh, your parent just has an appointment somewhere, and maybe they don't have a car, or the car's in the shop. So can you give me a favor? Can you take me to the grocery store? Can you take me to the doctor? Or for that matter, can you get me, you know, I, I can't get out today, but can you get me whatever? So in those cases, could you ask someone else to do it for you? Say, listen, mom, I can't come right now, but I, I, I called a taxi for you. Or someone else is going to the grocery store, I asked them to bring it for you. Is that still a mitzvah? But I didn't do it myself. So that's the easiest part of this part of the year. That's the easiest question. And the answer to that is yes. Most cases, we would say, I wouldn't say there's no exception to the rule, but as a default, I would say, this is similar to what we have in many other mitzvahs, which is that usually we say it's always better to do a mitzvah yourself. But if you do a mitzvah through a shaliach, through someone who's your agent, who's someone who's representing you, you get credit for the mitzvah. Just as an example, let's say you ask someone to give tzedakah on your behalf. I don't mean with their money. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's something else. I mean, let's say you... I don't, so in the cases in the Gemara, you know, you're a, you're a big landowner, and you ask your sharecropper, you ask one of your workers, here, give that fruit to the Kohen. So you didn't give the fruit to the Kohen. Do you get the mitzvah? Or a modern version of this might be, you have money in a bank account. You didn't actually give it to the, to the poor person. You said to your money manager... To the person who runs your, your charity account, you know, can you wire money to this tzedakah? And by the way, if you're interested, I have some good tzedakahs for you. Um, so, do you, you didn't actually give the money, are you Yotzei? The answer is yes, because that person was doing it on your behalf. Now, the Gemara says it's always better to do a mitzvah yourself, if you can. So, I think it would be obvious, in Kibbutz also, the more you're personally involved, the better. But technically speaking, if for whatever reason you can't, and therefore you take care of the need of your parent, but you did it through an intermediary, in most cases, that would be okay. The one exception to that, at least hypothetically, which will be more complicated, which is definitely going to relate to things we're going to be discussing as we continue, is that we also understand that in many contexts, it's not only the thing that your parent needs from you, but they want you. What they really want is you. And if you substitute that, maybe it's not usser, depending on the case. But I wouldn't necessarily say you got the mitzvah. So I, I think I've given this illustration in the past, and I don't mind giving it again, especially since I think my parents have changed a little bit over the years in terms of how much they, this was important to them. But when we were first married and we lived in New York, 
Um, more than once, my parents visited us. It was very important to them that we picked them up. Well, first, well, of course, they were going to stay with us in our teeny, teeny, teeny apartment. But because they didn't want to be anywhere else. Not because they couldn't have gone, but they wanted to be with us. Which we appreciated. Anyway, um, mostly. But uh, really. But I remember they used to expect us to go to LaGuardia or JFK, wherever, Newark, to pick them up. And even if you've come from New York, we were living in Manhattan. It's not a simple thing. We only had one, we only had one car. When we didn't have a car, it was one thing. We didn't always have it. Even when we had one car. Anyway, and I remember once, most we always did it. I remember once, I remember, I think we said something like, you know, here's a cab. No, we gave them a cab. I can't come. Now, in theory, I helped them. I was like giving them a shliach who could help take them. I remember, the, again, this story goes back 25 years. But I remember they were upset. And they were probably right to be. Because it wasn't really about how they got to, from, the, from the airport to our house. They felt it was the right thing to do, that we should come get them. It was about us valuing them coming enough to do it. Over the years, our life has gotten more complex. Maybe they've mellowed about that. And we, always, we still, even out of Yom we try to always pick them up. But sometimes when we can't, we make sure we call somebody, and somebody's waiting for them to bring them from Ben-Gurion, and they're okay with that. So every case is different. Meaning every parent is different, and in my case, as one very common example, the same parents might change their opinion over the years. So you have to have enough honest dialogue, and you still have enough emotional intelligence to get a sense. Is this really about the ride, or the trip to the doctor, or to the grocery? Or is it about you? If it's about you, if you can't, you can't. But we wouldn't say, because you sent a driver, or Uber Eats delivered the food, you got the mitzvah. If it's really just about the food or the ride then it's still better to do it yourself. But you'd get the mitzvah even if you did it All of that is the easy part. The much more complex part is what, what about when what they need is beyond what you either actually can provide, what your emotional bandwidth will allow you to withstand, that they need constant help, expertise, etc. When we talk about something, not just you know, give me a ride to the doctor, but you know, when parents are really getting more infirm and they need much more than that. Is there then a way to give that off, or do parents, children still have to do everything no matter what? So this emerges uh, from a story in the Gemara, which I didn't put on your sheet, but it, it'll, it'll lead into source number seven. The Gemara talks about one of the great Amorai, Rabbi Asi. And the way the Mepharshim understand the story, his mother unfortunately became senile um, and was losing her mind and was being making him a sugar being verbally, I don't say abusive, but just constantly, constantly making him crazy. To the point that he said, I can't handle it anymore. They didn't have nursing homes in those days. He didn't send her away. He, he, he left. He said, I got to get out of here. He moved to Eretz Yisrael from Bavel. He made Aliyah. That could be a new thing from Nefesh Benefesh. <laughs> uh, that would be rather distasteful, but it might work with some people. <laughs> Run away from your parents. Make Aliyah. Anyway. Um, so... The Gemara says before he did it, he made sure he asked someone to take care of my mom. I'm leaving. That's the story. So the Rambam, verse number seven, brings this down, and he says as follows: Says the Rambam, listen. Again, the Rambam didn't know what Parkinson's was and Alzheimer's, and they didn't have those words in those days. But older people sometimes losing their mind. This is not a new thing to the 20th or 21st century. So says the Rambam. If you have a parent who's going through something like that, it's hard. Do your best, and hopefully it'll be, you know, 
something that's only temporary. Maybe they'll they'll, they'll get they'll recover. But do your best. If the EMF where it's underlined, but let's say you can't, you can't do it because they're just too sick, unfortunately. And they're just either what they need is too difficult for you to provide, or maybe, as I say, maybe it involves a lot of personal abuse that you're on the receiving end of. In such a case, in extreme cases, says the Rambam, Yanichim, you can abandon them, you can leave them. You can go away. But just set up that someone else should take care of them. And that's just based, that's a quote of the story, basically. Or he's distilling the story and paskening based on that. So, some of you may be familiar that in a halakhic context, the main, or the, at least primary interlocutor, the disputant against the Rambam, is always someone named the Ravid. And sure enough, here, the Ravid, right, right on the page. He shries. Chayva came against the Rambam. What are you talking about? You can leave your parent? You can tell someone else to take care of your parent? That's not a psak. If you're going to abandon them, who's really going to take care of them? You send them to the nurse home, you're never going to visit, and you think that's You could take care of them, but someone else will. How could you pass in that way? The devastating, very emotionally charged critique of the Psaq of the Rambam. And yet, and yet, the Shulchan Aruch and most other poskim Paskin like the Rambam, because they explain, as we shall do in a moment, that clearly this is a misunderstanding of what the Rambam meant. He didn't mean, obviously, to abandon a parent, especially in a situation where no one else is going to do, just if you couldn't do the job, no one else could do the job. That really wouldn't make no sense. Rather, the Rambam seems to be describing one of two or three very common and perhaps even typical, uh, but at least common, uh, hypothetical situations. So for example, in source number 8, the Archa explains, what are we talking about? A really extreme case where to take care of the parent will require things which are really forbidden for the child. Let's say a parent needs restraints. I don't know how many of you have ever been involved or seen anything like this. I have. Um, no. It's very painful to see. It's very painful to consider that sometimes a, a parent or an older person who's confused could hurt him or herself. Sometimes they need to be restrained, forcibly put in their bed, forcibly... A child's not allowed to do that. To raise your hand again, that would be almost disrespectful. Or maybe not almost. Disrespectful. So says the Aruch that's what the Ramah was referring to. If you have a situation in which what's required would be so extreme that it's really not right for the child to do that. For example, he says, using restraints, Again, this is primitive, you know, over a hundred years ago. You want to tie the parent down. But... I'm not sure how much the things we do now are not that much more advanced. And again, and sometimes it's necessary for their own good. But that should be a child. Says the Archa Shofan turning over the page. Bahaben. Okay, now here's where my paper got messed up, so I can't even read what it's on the other side of the page. Uh, but basically, the, the child should not be the one who does that. The child should not be the one who does that. So that's one example where he says, yeah, of course you can you know, hire a caregiver or put your parent maybe in a home or a hospital. Not because you couldn't do it, because it won't be right for you to do it. That's one possibility. A second possibility, which I don't have on the sheet, uh, but that is that sometimes the cost can be too high to take care of the parent uh, by yourself. Now, sometimes that can even be financially, but I don't want to get into the details of that because that we're going to discuss next week. 
But there could be a scenario where if your parent was, you know, if you did, you know, insurance or the government might provide certain services if you take advantage of them. But if you don't, and it's just money out of your pocket, maybe that's going to be too much. But it's also more emotional or other things. There could be times, and this seems to be also one easy way to read the Gemara, where, yes, it's extreme, but there could be times where it's just too much for a person to bear. It could just be too time-consuming, too emotionally difficult, and it just won't, it's just not fair to the child. There could be, again, we all know that that's going to be a subjective kind of decision. What's too much? You know, and sometimes we can be very judgmental, especially when we see other people, decisions they've made with their parent or their, or their spouse or their loved one, right? But only the family themselves know what they can really handle and what's a price is hard and high, but we can do it. Well, it's a price that's even too high and hard to handle. But that might be a second interpretation uh, of the Rambam. And a third interpretation, which I think is very, very um, relevant to our modern situation, and again, I don't think this is on the sheet, but uh, a number of contemporary Sfarim point this out, and that is that one of the challenges that came with the bracha of modern medicine is that you know, people can live much longer than they used to, because we now can take care of people in ways that we didn't used to be able to take care of them. But that often requires a very ex- expertise, very significant, highly trained nurses and therapists and sometimes doctors. You can love your parent, you can love your spouse, as much, but sometimes it's just better for the, ch- for the parent, better for the person receiving care to have an actual trained nurse, a trained caregiver, a trained therapist taking care of them. You're not doing a favor to be a martyr sometimes. Again, I repeat what I said at the beginning of this year, and we'll probably repeat it at least one more time. Obviously, these are incredibly complex, subjective, gray situations. Every case has to be analyzed you know, very carefully on its own. But at least in theory, could there be scenarios where it's just not possible? It's not, it's not better for the parent. Again, you ask anybody. I'm not going to take a poll in the room. But you ask anybody. I don't need to take the poll. Everyone says... Don't put me in a home. It's like every normal person's worst nightmare. And I understand that. Not only because sometimes you hear horror stories, which are terrible, but if, even, if some, even, if you're, even if the caregiver's good, or even if the home could be wonderful, right? no one wants that. And I don't need to explain why, because we all understand that in our gut. But we also, if we can be objective and detached, we can also all imagine scenarios, because we've seen them. Where not only is it so hard for the family. Sometimes it's just better for the, for the person, for the parent, for the patient to have more expert full-time care. Right? No, how many children could be around 24 hours a day even if they wanted to be? Right? People do have to work. They have other responsibilities. And not only that, the patient may need, the parent may need things that the child doesn't know how to give. You're not a nurse. You're not a therapist. So, or let alone a doctor in some cases. So, that would be three possible interpretations. So the upshot, which we'll discuss now more in detail, but the bottom line is, in theory, could there be a scenario in which at some age or some condition it would be permitted to give your parent to the care of someone else? The answer seems to be yes. But it goes without saying that that would have to be with a very, very good reason, and it certainly shouldn't be anyone's first choice or first option, but sometimes it really... It really may uh, be needed. So to develop uh, this a little bit more, um, let's, let me, let, let, let's try to do the last few sources and even a few sources that I didn't put on the sheet, all really focusing on just now modern uh, and contemporary uh, situation. So one thing I think is important, 
the Rambam's case, and again, many people, many families, my own family at one point included, again, both of my grandmother, both my grandfathers, I believe I mentioned this previously, both of my grandfathers died relatively young and relatively suddenly. Both of my grandmothers lived much older, but by the time they passed away, whatever the technical diagnosis was, they had some form of senility. So, in both cases, in one of the cases, uh, one of my grandmothers did eventually have to be go to a home, and the other one not. But <clears throat> assuming that we're talking about a situation where a parent still has their mind, but they have maybe a lot of physical conditions, or they go back and forth. We know there are plenty of people, plenty of conditions where a person can get confused, but other times of the day, they are more clear. So assuming that a parent has their, their wits about them, has their clear mind, so at one point, uh, which Rav Yashiv, this quoted is saying is, this cannot be done to them. This really has to be a partnership with the parent. Obviously, these are very difficult conversations, but they're conversations that have to be had. So in the cases of the Gemara and the Rambam and the Shachanarach, they were specifically talking about cases where the parent had lost their mind. So you really are become a custodian for your parent, and you have to make the decision. And the question is just how to make the decision. But if the parent is well enough to know what's going on, so it says Rav Yashiv, in most cases, you cannot do it against their will. Unless, he says, it's 100% clear that you cannot take care of them. Now, you could have a parent who, despite the child saying, but I can't, I love you, I will, I wish I could, but you need something I can't give, or something extreme like that. If it's 100% clear you cannot do it, says then Yashiv, you can do it even against their will. But short of that, assuming that they still have their mind about them, then he says, really, you should only, really, it really should be forced against them, it really should be only uh, in partnership with them, or unless there is another, uh, another scenario which would be problematic, which we'll get to uh, in a minute. Source number 10, we'll get back to 9 in a minute. Source number 10 is just a more recent 20th century psaq, which codifies something which we saw previously from the Aruch HaShulchan, which is the great Sitz Eliezer, who was a posek, you know, world-renowned in every area, but he actually was also the posek of Shari Tzedek Hospital. So he had a lot of expertise and experience in the field of medicine and halacha, and he discusses the scenario, again, where a parent's particular sickness will require physical restraints, either literally tying them or you know, people forcibly putting them in the, you know, in the chair or, or perhaps holding them against their will. Things of that nature, unfortunately, are painful, but they are definitely real. And says that Tzitzel Yezer, source number 10, as we had already seen from the Shulchan Aruch, not only is the child not obligated to do that, it's not right for a child to do that to the parent. You have to find someone who can help. Now, I think it's alluding to something which we, most of us would understand intuitively. If you can get someone to help while they're in the house, you know, what we colloquially in Israel refer to as a Filipino, and I mean that mamash shvach because they're like angels, so then of course that's better. And if you can't, if they need to go somewhere else, if that's what they need, it's not only allowed, it's the right thing to do, says Tzitzeliezer, because it's usher for a child to do those kind of things uh, to a parent. Now, if there would be a temporary situation, that's like a long-term thing. You see your parent reach a certain stage, this is going to be ongoing restraints and things like that, says Tzitzeliezer, for sure, better to have someone else be doing that. But let's say you happen to be alone with them. It could be in the nursing home or it could be in your house. And they're going to hurt themselves, God forbid, if you don't restrain them. So of course in that case you have to do it. But you have to realize that that's not a program. 
that's a, a one-off. But if you really see this something that becomes a consistent need, then it definitely is the right thing to do to bring in help or send the parent out to get the help uh, that they need. What about the question of, is there kibarava aim if my parent doesn't even really appreciate it? I don't mean because they're not nice people, God forbid. I mean they don't appreciate it because they don't know what's happening, because they're too confused. They could be physically not even aware of what's going on with them, or they could be aware, but they don't know who you are. Right? I've had this. I visited a grandmother who didn't know who I was. I visited her with my father when she didn't know really who he was. I saw this with my mother and her mother. So, is it even really keep it up? They don't even know that you're doing it. They don't appreciate it. We would think in our gut the answer should obviously be yes. And that is in fact the answer. But for two different reasons and I think it's important to appreciate them and we kind of touched on them earlier parts of the year. Number one is the fact that they don't appreciate it doesn't take away from the mitzvah. It makes the mitzvah even greater. It's an incredible chesed. Right? When we do chesed in normal scenarios, whether it's with our parents or other people, we don't have to wait till the next world to get repaid. Right? In a normal situation when the parent is grateful, loving, thankful, that's already, we already feel good about ourselves. So to be able to do chesed, even when you don't get that pay, that payback, that's an even greater act of chesed. It's somewhat similar to Lahavdil, the way we talk about chesed shalemes, right? taking care of a person after they pass away, where and you, you don't see the, the feedback, so to speak. They can't redo for you what you just did for them. And that's considered the highest form. So it's a huge difference, but I think it's parallel. If you have a parent who doesn't know what's going on at all, doesn't appreciate it, there's no greater relationship being built. There's no extra love that's being felt. It's still even more selfless and therefore more wonderful of a mitzvah. But there's an additional point, and this is mentioned in source number nine, by the Chuas Vahan Hagos, that's of Moshe Sternbach, um, who makes the point, and this relates to things that we discussed earlier in today's year, which is that it's not only about the personal and the human relationship that you have with your parent. There's a third party, and that's Hashem. And even when the parent or the adult, the person, the human being doesn't realize what you're doing for them, you're also honoring Hashem who's there, right, so to speak, in the room. As he quotes there in source number 9, as we saw previously, Hashem is tethered to the parent. Therefore, by us doing for our parent what Hashem told us to do, we're also honoring Hashem in that sense. Therefore, he says explicitly, even if the parent can't respond, Eino Megiv, the parent can't really, is not aware of what you're doing for them. We're filling still Hashem's will. And therefore, he says, it's not only the bit on the chavero on a super high level when they can't respond or they don't really know what's happening. It's even a greater selfless act. But it's also an act of honoring Hashem at the highest level by honoring your parent even when they don't really understand. Of course, he adds on the last part, he also adds, which is something that I think we all hope for as well, even if we don't, never can prove it, which is, who knows what they do or don't understand. Right? And he says that explicitly. Maybe they really do know what's going on and they just can't respond or can communicate. And, you know, as someone who's been in the room, you know, more than once with parents who had their parents, my grandparents, who were in that state, 
right? not only in terms of senility, but in the case of one of my grandfathers, I say he died suddenly because he had like a massive stroke or hemorrhage. He actually lingered uh, for uh, it was a week and a half, for two weeks, something like that, before he actually passed away. And of course, we were with him. Literally, my mom didn't leave the hospital, I think, for two weeks. Until, or what, a week and a half, whatever it was, until he passed away. Um, and, you know, she was absolutely convinced, at least in the beginning, you know, that he understood. Now, whether that's really true medically, I don't know in his case. Um, he was pretty unfortunately sick when he had that hemorrhage. But um, the point is, we, you know, we never know. And sometimes you'll even have a doctor will tell you it's important to talk to them. You know, but especially with an Alzheimer's patient or something like that, I don't think anyone ever really knows exactly what they know or they don't know. And therefore, that's yet another reason that it's important to still visit and still do anything uh, we can. Um, last but not least, uh, let's discuss a real a version of the nursing home Shiloh. Uh, which is maybe the most, you know, let's make it even more complex than it would seem obviously. When I say even more, the obvious complexity is, you know, no parent wants that. And yet, sometimes it becomes necessary. So how to navigate that is obviously can be very, very heartbreaking for a family to go through. What could make it even more complicated than that? Let's say in theory we're in a situation where maybe it'll be hard, but the parent could still live in a private home. Maybe not on his or her own, but on a private home. So to take the scenario that's discussed in source number 11, but it could be, the roles could be reversed with husband and wife, but in the case of number 11, it's a, the parent of the father, of the husband, and the husband wants to bring his mother or his father to live with them. We'll take care of him or her, we'll take care of Bobby, we'll take care of Sandra. But the spouse is not interested. It's going to create shalom bias issues. The husband and wife are not in agreement What's the best course of action? The husband says, I want, to, I want my mom or I want my dad to live with us. The wife says, I, I can't. And you can imagine all sorts of scenarios. It's easy to understand if for 40 years they didn't get along. And now you want me to live with him or her? She was mean to me for 40 years. Those are real cases. I'm not making them up. But even if a case was where they had a great relationship, a great mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship, yeah, you know why it was great? Because we saw each other three times a year. We got together for Shabbos once a week or whatever. Not because they lived in our house for 12 months and needed constant care. That might stress the best father-in-law, the best son-in-law, the best daughter-in-law. So again, there might be someone who say, yes, please, bring Bobby, bring Zadie, bring your mom, bring your father to the house. But what if they don't? And they say, I, I question, I can't. Or what if it's not even the emotional Shalvayas issue, what if it will require so much energy and so much time Maybe I won't be able to work as much. It'll hurt the family financially. I'm not even discussing now money out of pocket. That we're going to discuss next week. But here are other scenarios where this is complicated, even if you want to do it. What if the spouse doesn't want, etc. What about in those cases? Again, let's say the situation would be either where the parent, in theory, would agree to go to a nursing home, or they're already not in a position to even have an opinion. They're so sick, unfortunately. But the, parent, the child says, I want to bring my parent home. And the spouse says, I can't do it. Or there's some other reason why it won't be good for the family. So what about in that kind of case? So that is discussed in source number 11. And basically, the Shevet Alevi, this is Rav Ozner, he passed away probably about 10 years ago, uh, probably the ripe old age of 90-something, uh, or maybe even, he might have actually been over 100. He was a Holocaust survivor. Um, so he connects this to the discussion we saw earlier in this year. With the case of the Rambam, and Ravasi, who ran away, and he said to someone, take care of my mother. And the Ravid said, what are you talking about? How could you leave? 
And we explained why in those cases we thought the Rambam might actually allow it. So it says Rav Ozer, in source number 11, he says, in a situation in which the, the best thing is for the parent to be somewhere else, then he thinks it's obvious, and we already saw that previously, right? From if there's, you know, if the parent needs nursing care or 24/7 medical care, that just a child isn't capable, even if he wanted to, that would be obvious. Everyone would agree uh, in that case. But he says, in addition, he says, uh, four lines down, in this situation, we're having the child, the parent in the house, gorim shalom bayis Either the child can't work because he's too busy taking care of his parent, or worse, he says to his spouse, "You stay home and don't work. Take care of my parent." Or even if it's not a financial thing, just it's going to create tension in the marriage. Says Ravosner, he thinks it's obvious in that case that not only the Rambam would allow it, but the Ravid would allow it as well. Let's read just, we'll finish by reading just the underlying part. He says, He says, nowadays, we're not abandoning a parent if you put them in a home or something like that. There are people who can help. Other people could take care of the parent. And if you brought the parent home, it could create, you know, um, there could be ancillary problems and, uh, you know, all sorts of uh, collateral damage um, with, the, with the, maybe the children or maybe the spouse. In that case, he says, it would be permitted to put the parent in a nursing home. Unless you really had a situation where you had good reason to think that this particular home or your situation is that they're really going to be abusive, or they're going to really neglect the parent. You can't neglect the parent by putting them in a home. But if it's going to be a home that's going to take care of them, and he says explicitly, even if it's obvious that the home can't do as much as the child could. Again, we're not talking about where there's like real medical requirements, because then Dafka, the nursing home, would be better. But if it's just a question of the 24-7 sensitivity and care and attention... So it doesn't matter if you hire the most, you know, take, find the most expensive nursing home in the world and get the best private nurses, right? We understand that no one's going to take care of a parent the way a family member, a loving family member, or the way a child would. Even if there will be a little bit of a, a lower level of um, care, he says, if, if on the other side is, but you're going to create marriage problems, shalom bias problems with your spouse, or financial distress on the family, in such a case... He says it is permissible um, to, um, in that case, use a nursing home or some other external help. Because, as he says, as much as you have a mitzvah to your uh, parents, there's also a mitzvah of to your husband or to your wife. And this is an important hashkafic piece, uh, which again has to be applied carefully. But a child or a, you know, a spouse's first obligation is to the spouse. And you can't sacrifice that relationship of your marriage, your relationship with your spouse even if it's because you want to do something beautiful like take care of your parents. Again, he says, assuming that they're going to get some basic care, even if it's not obviously going to be as good as if you could have them at home. If it's going to be something where they're abandoned, let alone abused, then of course you can't do that. But you'd hope to think that the spouse would want you to do that. But if it's just a question of a lower level versus the better care of being with loved ones, so if you can do that, of course it's wonderful, admirable. The Torah itself promises you long life. What a, what a mitzvah. But if you really can't, either because the parent needs different kind of care, or because your family situation just does not allow it, it's just too much, then again, halakhically, it would be uh, permissible. He ends, and with this we will conclude. He says here on the bottom, last line, he says, obviously, I'm writing here as a post sitting in my library, you know, second hand. He says, obviously, 
every case has to be explained, you know, and understood, you know, one by one, every scenario, the family themselves, whether it's a social worker or the post or the rabbi, every case is different. And obviously, uh, he says, I'm only giving you a psaq based on what I understand to be the case. If I'm wrong about the situation, then of course the psaq might not be relevant. But at least in theory, in these kind of situations, again, incredibly complex, but I think these are some of the uh, scenarios and guidelines which will hopefully help guide us in these difficult situations.